Today, I'm privileged to be able to share with you a message from God's Word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. As we look today at some characters of the New Testament, the central character of the New Testament, but also a group of people who were very close to Jesus, his disciples, for about three years during his ministry. Mark records it this way in chapter 4 of his gospel. On that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What's the context of this story that we examine today? Our Lord Jesus had been teaching and ministering to a large crowd of people, and undoubtedly after that was exhausted. In his humanity, he needed some rest. <clears throat> Yet all around, there were people pressing in around him, and really the only way out of that crowd was to go down to the shore, get in a boat, and go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The scriptures don't say that he dismissed the crowd, rather that he left them. Yet even when then they seemed to, to follow him in other boats and perhaps and and, and you could just envision them maybe walking around the, the shoreline and trying to get to the other side. Jesus gave a command to leave, but it was his disciples, those fishermen that he knew, Peter and others, the seamen, the ones that were familiar with the waves and the sea that took charge of this little fishing boat that day, while our Lord Jesus lay down and went to sleep. What a picture of serenity. But there was a storm that arose as they went across that sea. That storm was not an uncommon occurrence in that time on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains, and, and between the mountains there are ravines which come down to the sea. So when that cold air comes down those ravines and hits that warm air coming up from the sea, you often can have sudden and violent storms that put a small boat in particular at peril. Some storm this must have been because it terrified even those experienced fishermen like Peter and others who were on that boat and who undoubtedly had been in storms on that body of water before. As I think about this scenario, I think about one of my favorite TV shows, The World's Deadliest Catch, where they're fishing up in Alaska for the crab, and it seems like they're always fishing in a storm. Have you noticed that? The storm is going crazy. And if you've ever been on a ship 
or on a boat in the middle of a storm on a body of water, you know how terrifying that can be. Yet in the midst of this raging storm, when the fishermen are terrified, Jesus is asleep. And the disciples in desperation awaken him and, and almost rebuke him by saying, don't you care about us, Lord? Don't you care? Where are you? How many times in my life and your life have you felt the same way during a storm of your life? And yet we see the beautiful picture, the beautiful picture in this story of both our Lord's humanity and our Lord's divinity. As it unfolds before us in the story is the exhausted and fully human Jesus who is peacefully sleeping, awakens as the fully divine Lord of the universe, who not only has authority over the fishes in the sea, but also of the sea and the waves and the wind itself. And in three simple words, he says, peace, quiet, be still. Literally, the Grammar there says, hush, shh, shh, and the waves calm down. Can you imagine if you were in that boat that day, your reaction, if you'd seen that? The reaction of sheer awe and wonder that you would have had to that spectacle, to that miracle. You wonder how in the world those disciples could not have faith, but let's not be too hard on them. They're just like we are human in every way, and we wonder about them and the things that they'd send Jesus do in the past, but in their humanity, they had a hard time wrapping their arms and minds around this idea of Jesus as the, the God-man, fully divine, fully human, walking among them. It was a difficult, difficult thing for them to conceive of as it would be for us. But perhaps this is why Jesus the Lord of power, the Lord of grace, the Prince of peace, did not sternly react to their question, to their seeming rebuke of him, but simply asked them a question as he asked me today and you today in the midst of our storms. Where's your faith? Why are you afraid? It's almost like he's saying, fellas, don't you know me well enough to know that you can trust me, not only in good times, but also in the times of peril of life? What can we learn from this story today? Why did Mark include this in his gospel? What was the Lord teaching us by not only the event that happened as he showed his power over the storm, but also aware that this story would be recorded and passed down from generation to generation. I'd like to observe a couple things today. And the first is this, that we can learn from this story. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. He cares about us in the good times of life, and he cares about us in the bad times of life. There are things that are good in this life, 
that, that are so many good things and, and, and they're good things to enjoy and the wonders of creation and all the things that, that God has given us and the blessings of relationships and family and the wonders of music and art and all the things that show the benevolent, good, kind spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, his creator, Father God. But you know, bad things are a part of life too. And one of the hardest things, the hardest things about life is accepting that things are at times are hard and unfair. Jesus cares. He cared for those disciples back then. While that ship was sinking, Jesus was sleeping. And he kept on sleeping, and though, even though it was obvious to everyone that the little boat was in danger of going down. He slept as they pulled those oars. He slept as they struck that sail. He slept as they bailed the water as fast as they could. Finally, the disciples shook him and awakened him with the words, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They didn't come to him and say, Savior. They didn't come say, Lord. They didn't call him Master. They didn't come with a plea of faith saying, Lord, save us. Rather, they didn't ask him to use his divine powers, but they came to him and they said to him, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? When the disciples asked that question, it must have been a real, real wound on Jesus' heart. It must have hurt his feelings greatly. Jesus, do you care? Wouldn't he think to himself, do I care? If you were to look at a dictionary today and look up the definition for the word caring, what you ought to find in that definition is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Caring is what he was all about. Caring was the thing that made him tick. It was his caring that caused him to be born in a Bethlehem stable. It was his caring that, that took him away from his life with his folks in a carpenter shop in his hometown of Nazareth. It was his caring which made him touch the unclean who had leprosy. It was his caring that had him reach out to those who were social outcasts, ostracized by others, it was his caring that had him reach out to those who were hurting in body, mind, and soul. It was his caring who had him raise a young man from the dead and give him back to his mother to raise a young girl back to life so she could be restored to her family. It was his caring which placed my sins, your sins, the world's sins on his shoulder as he suffered and prayed for strength in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was his caring that would take him through the betrayal of friends in his last days, his desertion by his disciples. It was his caring that would take him through the unfair, unjust trials before church and state that he endured. It was his caring which allowed him to go to the cross voluntarily for the redemption that we enjoy today. It was his caring as he gave his life as a ransom for us all, it was his caring that caused him to rise from the dead, to conquer once and for all death and evil, show the world that it had been conquered, give us hope for this life and eternity. It was his caring. Jesus, care? He cared for people back then? And he cares for you and me today. Today, a caring Jesus Christ reaches out to us who don't know what tomorrow will bring. 
A care in Jesus Christ comes to us saying, no matter what suffering you've been afflicted with and no matter what suffering you're going through, no matter how strong the winds are, I am with you and I care and I love you. Growing up as a child, we have this envision, envision this life that's ahead of us and we have a, a, a vision of utopia that everything's going to work out just fine. And one of the lessons of life as we grow older is we find out that this world is not always a comfortable place in which to live. There are times in life when things are good, but there are times when things are bad. Some folks endure hardship and suffering early in their life. Others, it comes later on. But if you live long enough, you're going to experience adversity and suffering in this world, stormy times, stormy weather. John chapter 16, verse 33 records the words of Jesus who said, in this world, you will have trouble. When our Lord walked the face of this earth, he did many signs and wonders, but he didn't fix all of the problems in that physical existence. The sun didn't shine every day Jesus was here. And we have no record of peace, calm, gentle storms. No, there were violent ones. In fact, in this story today, we see one. People still got sick and were still being brought to Jesus. I guess he could have blinked his eyes and stopped all sickness, but he didn't do it. People still died. Yes, even Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, died. Evil rulers still ruled and hurt others like even Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. The Pharisees still demonstrated their hypocrisy as they oppressed and imposed burdens that were unreasonable on others and cheated them out of their money. It sounds like the early believers who were under the yoke of the Roman Empire that didn't change because they became believers in Christ. It sounds like the early believers contended with a lot of things that are similar to the dynamics of our lives today. Tough times, not always good times. I once heard someone say that in life, everyone is either heading into a storm in the middle of one or coming out of one. And there's a lot of truth to that. Storms are a part of life. And sometimes we have stormy times and sometimes we have times of oasis in life and peace, but, but there's gonna be adversity and in the face of that, we can't help at times in our humanity but cry out to God and say, God, where are you? I need you. Why is this happening? This isn't fair. I don't begin to have all the ultimate answers to these questions. But I think the scriptures sure do point us to some ideas about why we're in the situation we're in. And it has to do with the effects of separation from God of, of, of us as, as, as humans and as the whole creation being separated from God. As God truly loved us, he gave us the power and the choice of free will, free will. And with that freedom comes the risk that bad choices will be made. And you and I are affected by those, aren't we? Everybody in this room, everybody in this room has been affected at some point in their life by a choice that they made that wasn't so good. And we've had to live with the consequences of it. Everybody in this room 
has been affected by the choices of someone else that has hurt us unfairly, unfairly. There's a lot of things that go on in life, situations of evil and oppression where people are hurt because of the free will and the bad choices of people around us. How many storms of history have been caused by selfish, prideful, evil choices? How many families have been affected? How many wars have been fought? How many people have been oppressed and starved to death because of the bad choices of others? A lot of man-made storms out there. Man-made storms. But that doesn't even speak to other storms of life that come along. The calamities, the physical storms, the, the, the things of, uh, that, that we just can't figure out. Tragedies of life, natural disasters, disease that comes to those we love, to us at times in our life. We've all been affected by those things. I don't have a nice, easy answer, a neat answer for you for all those things, but it seems that the scriptures point us to the fact that the calamity that's all around us was wreaked on our physical bodies and even our physical world that we live in because of the separation from God that came when people rebelled against him. Romans chapter 5 says sin brought death to the world. And Romans chapter 8 says that sin even affected the physical creation that's around us that groans and longs for the return of Jesus Christ. Noted Christian author Philip Yancey calls our world a stained planet. Stained in that it's not ruined. The original intent shines through. The goodness of the Creator shines through. And we get glimpses of it in this life. But ultimately, we come to grips with the fact that this world and this life is not what it was originally intended to be before sin. It was ruined by the fall. It was ruined by the fall. And as a result, we live in a place that is not always comfortable. But in the face of all that, there's good news in this story. Good news in this story in those three simple words. Peace be still. Jesus can calm storms. Amen? Jesus can calm storms. What's the answer to strife around us that causes dissension? What's the answer to bigotry that demeans other human beings? What's the answer to broken relationships that all too often hurt the most innocent little children? What's the answer? It's the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus Christ, a Jesus Christ who says to me and to you today, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who calls me and you today to go the extra mile with people. To go the extra mile. To be patient. To forgive, not seven times, he says, but 70 times seven. In other words, as much as you need to, Jesus can calm the man-made storms of life when we listen to him and act in the way he calls us to be, to lead a church that he calls us to be what? He says, my prayer is that the church be one. And so the end of division and strife and all that starts in the church. The church is the place where grace begins and not ends. Some of us today are sitting in this audience. Some of us, like me, are sitting here today and we're hanging on stuff from the past that we haven't forgiven ourselves for. There's stuff that is causing a storm in our life 
and, and, and eliminating the, the idea and the, and the possibility of peace in our life today because we're hanging on to a burden. And the Lord says to you today, and he says to me today, you're forgiven. Receive it. Accept it. I love you. I forgive you. There are folks today sitting in this audience along with me who have folks where maybe we're crosswise with. The relationship is not exactly what it should be. And the Lord calls me and calls you today to hear the call of Christ that says, go and say, please forgive me. Go, do what you can, as Romans chapter, chapter 12 says. As much as it depends on you and me today, live at peace with other people. Is there someone I need to forgive today? Is there someone I'm waiting to, to ask forgiveness for, for because, because I'm afraid they won't forgive me or it, they might not react the way I want them to today? The Lord calls me and calls you to be a force of peace in this world by doing the right thing. In the face of the injustice we see all around us in the world, the church can be the face of Jesus, calm in a storm, as we stand up for those who are oppressed and weak, as we care for the broken lives around us, as we help put the pieces back together for those who have been in storms. We see that in interpersonal relationships, broken lives, but we all see, also see that when the physical storms of the world come in, tornadoes and hurricanes and all kinds of things. And what do you see? You see folks who are the hands and feet of Jesus going into those environments, building houses, repairing things, all that. God calls us to be people who calm storms as he did. Jesus is still a physical healer. Did you know that? We face disease in this life and the Lord calls us to pray for those who are sick. The scripture calls us to. And the scripture calls us to pray and to ask in accordance with the Lord's will what he would do. And you and I know people and you and I have lived through situations where folks have been sick that got well when they shouldn't have gotten well. When the doctors didn't think they should be. We know folks who've been sick and weren't given very, very long to live and yet they lived a lot longer than folks thought they would. And the doctors scratched their heads, but the doctors don't see all the time the hundreds, the thousands of prayers that are going up that the Lord hears. And in his wisdom and providence intervenes according to his will. The ultimate way that Jesus calms storms of life for you and me is by redefining life and redefining it in a way that says this, this life is not all there is. Amen? This is not all there is. There's more to life. We're part of something bigger than us. And everyone in this room today is called by God to serve while you're here, his kingdom, in a way that uniquely only you can. Times won't always be easy. Stormy times will come. We have an adversary who likes to cause storms in our life. But in the midst of those things, the Lord Jesus is with us. And while we're here, while we await that time when we'll go to a place where there will be no more sickness, 
There will be no more injustice, and we will live in the presence of a perfect, loving, gracious God forevermore as we know and await that place that's for sure coming. In the meantime, we're called to a life of faith, a life that says, as I look back over my life, I can see where God was with me, and I didn't know it at the time. But looking back, I know he was. We all have that testimony. And if you don't have that testimony, there are folks all around you that can say, I do, and you can. God calls us to a life of faith that trusts in him. Even though things are hard, he is with us, and he calls us, even in the midst of the storm, to know that he is with us, and he will be with us. I heard a story about a little girl in Tennessee, thunderstorm outside her window, four years old. She was getting ready for bed. The child, as any child would be, would be afraid of the lightning and the storm that was going on outside her window. And so as she called to her mom, 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 come here with me. And she asked her mom, she says, listen, uh, is it going to be okay? And, and then she asked her mom, she says, uh, as the mom turned out the lights in, in the bedroom, she says, there was a glimpse through the clouds of a beam of moonlight that came through the window. And she says, Mama, is that God's nightlight? Is that God's nightlight? And yes, the mom said, well, all the lights in heaven are God's lights. And so that little girl said, well, Will God turn off his lights and go to bed too, like me? And the mom said, no. He doesn't turn out his lights because he never goes to sleep. And then with the simplicity of a childlike faith, that little girl turns over and says, well, as long as God is still up, there's no sense in both of us staying awake. <laughs> and out storm, as that, outside as that storm continued to rage on, in that room, in that little girl's heart, the storm was gone because the Lord Jesus had lifted her up through her mom's words and said, Peace, be still, be still. The Lord Jesus today calls you into a place of fellowship and communion with him. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he calls you just where you are in life to know the saving grace and love that he extends to us all equally today. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, and it's a song of commitment and dedication. And, and if you need to make a decision to come and to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to come right down here, and I'll be waiting on you. It's also a place where if you want to Make a decision to come and join in the fellowship of this church, to become part of what God is doing here. We invite you to come and join with us. And it's also a song that reminds us is not only of communion with God, but communion with each other as we take together the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. As we're reminded of the Lord's sacrifice for our sins, and as the scripture says, as we take communion as fellow believers in Jesus Christ, that we declare, we declare to those around us that Jesus has saved us from our sins 
that Jesus is our source of hope, that Jesus is coming again as we sing.